Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of content. My guest, Deidre Breckenridge, is the CEO and owner of Pure Performance Communications. She also serves as a CEO of PR Stud Chat, which is a community on Twitter for PR students, PR pros, and educators. A PR and marketing veteran, she comes with a rich experience of over 30 years in the industry. Listen to her as she elaborates on the reasons why content is still king in the marketing industry today. Listen till the end to find out the value of great content. So let's start this thing off. So just so I can kind of get a little, we'll kind of set the foundation for the podcast. Like, give us a little bit, like, where did you grow up and like your family? Kind of give us a little bit. I mean, are you, are you always on the East Coast? Yeah. So I've always been in New Jersey, <laughs> born and raised. Although, um, even though in the 80s I had big hair, <laughs> like a Jersey girl, you can't tell now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I was like, so you were a big, did you have stocks in Aquanet or anything like that? Or was that just... <laughs> you know, when we were in college, yes. Um, actually, I should have invested in Aquanet right. because that was the blue hairspray that got our hair about a foot off of our head in a banana clip. <laughs> that was it. Now, I know you look familiar. I was like, wait a second. I think I remember her from... No, I was I was always a West Coast boy and I, I did go out to the West okay. Coast a little bit, but I do... I actually like the big hair. We had that little bit on the West Coast too. And it was... I just know the prep. I know my one of my ex-girlfriends, this is, I don't know, 30 years ago now, I don't even, maybe four years ago. It's just crazy, like, the amount of prep that that would take, because I do understand that the struggle is real. You know, we, we would go out at 11 o'clock for the sole reason that it took at least four hours <laughs> to yeah. get your hair that high off your head. The prep is serious. I, I do get that. Now, with mine, I know you're looking at mine and thinking it might take three or four hours. <laughs> I know. A lot of people go, God, it's with the amazing what you do with your hair, Shane. And I go, well, thank you so much, because there's not a lot left, and we're just trying to hold on to what we have left. So that's, that's kind of the goal there. So, all right. So you grew up in the Jersey area, right? Um, yes. How big family did you have? So five in the family. Uh, I had two older brothers. I was the baby. So yes, they protected me. I was going to say well protected for sure. Yeah. Well protected, but they also teased the hell out of me and they wrestled with me. And I just feel like I grew up being a little bit tougher. Yeah. I had to have a tough skin to be hanging out with two older brothers. Yeah, no, absolutely. They always, it's always nice because once again, they, the protection side of things is great, but then they also treat you like a guy probably when it comes to wrestling and stuff like that, and what, which has its <laughs> yeah. values down the road. Like if you have to get in a wrestling match or you're fighting sure, sure. or something with them. Which I do frequently. I, no. I, I, <laughs> I know yeah. you're a big wrestler. We'll, we'll bring that up a little later on because I know that was kind of a, a side fact. But speaking of side facts. Is there any interesting facts that like the audience wouldn't know about like you growing up? Is there anything that you're like, I haven't told anybody this, but <sighs> I used to go professionally or anything like that? Nothing? I mean, gr- growing up, I, I lived in an interesting town. It was this little square one mile town where Washington either slept there or went through there. And a famous trader was tarred and feathered in my brother's backyard. <laughs> so Go. his house is a part of the National Historical Society and they give tours through that home. So that's like an interesting So fact. it really is. So they really so it's actually a historical like a monument or something where people would go through. Oh yeah. Oh that's awesome. Tarred and feathered, huh? Who knew that, that was Tarred right? and feathered. That's that's exciting. Do they still do that? Does your brother still do that with any of the family members at Christmas or No, no, thank goodness. That's we good. we've we've moved away from that. That's good. That's <laughs> now good. we just bust chops. There we go. That's, <laughs> and that's what Christmas is all about, right? And wrestling, obviously. Right. Which is good. Exactly. That's exciting. So what college did you go to? Did you stay in, in New Jersey to go to college or did you break outside of New Jersey? I did. I stayed in New Jersey. I went to Glassboro State College. And I'll never forget, years later after I graduated, the college wanted to change its name to Rowan University. 
And Mr. Rowan had given, I think it was a hundred million dollar donation to Glassboro State College. And a lot of my alumni peers were upset that they were going to change the name. And I just thought to myself, listen, if Mr. Rowan wants to give that much money, then by all means, let his name be on that school. I feel like a hundred million is a pretty good reason to get your name on a school. I think it was that, I I just know it was the largest donation at the time, which is pretty cool. And they've done a lot at Rowan as a result. And I think that's good. Obviously, I think that's awesome when people, you know, obviously if you make that kind of money and then you're able to give back and it it obviously helps the community. I think that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of those donation things, the kind of the, hey, thanks for doing this is the fact, hey, we'll put a monument, you know, I guess depends on how much you donate, but you don't probably (laughs) going to get a college name after. Right. Name on the building or name on the entire school. You own everything. Yeah. Just. That's all you got to yes. do. Is, all it takes is 100 million people, folks, That's to right. be able to rename a college. Which this was, when, do you know when this happened about the 100 million? This was probably a little while ago, huh? Gosh, this was years ago, but it was definitely long after I graduated. Oh, gotcha. But, you know, if it's been within the last 10 or 15 years... That's- I want to say. Yeah, gosh, that's crazy. $100 million. Yeah, I can't. I plan on, to my college, I'm actually going to donate, I think, $1,000. And we're going to kind of see what I can do with that. Maybe a rock or something like that. I'll say, maybe not even Shane. I'll probably say like SB or something in the front. It'll be by a tree or something just to have gold. But hey, there you go. <laughs> I mean, we got to start small, folks. I mean, I, you know, right? We'll yes. start the small rock and then eventually we'll have. Small rock and then then build up from that's, there, Shane. That's, that's, <laughs> it's all foundation. It's something, definitely. It we got to start somewhere, right? I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Small rocks, folks. That's where we're at. Well, cool. So tell us a little bit. So, okay, so your college, you're literally a Jersey girl, right? So you grew up in Jersey. Yep. Bruce Springsteen fan by chance? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, you had to be. Yeah, I mean, how do you not? Like, I, mean, I, like I was a Bruce Springsteen. Exactly. If, if you weren't a Springsteen fan, there might have been something wrong with you. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> if I, you were hanging out with my friends, anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say it's almost that's like dangerous. It, didn't? I, weren't you part of his gang? Didn't he have like a gang there in Jersey? I think kind of, or I think the whole city. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, everybody was. I can only imagine Bruce was like the man. He's still the man. I mean, he was born in the USA. He's still the man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just one big unspoken gang yeah. and rule. Yeah, yeah. I would not want to go to Jersey and be like, you know what? I am not a Bruce Springsteen fan. I think that would not end well for you or any, but not me, you. <laughs> I, it would suck for me. And are you currently in Jersey as well? Like right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm still in New Jersey. So I'm in Marlboro, uh-huh. which is central Jersey. I, I always grew up in North Jersey, spent college in South Jersey. That's where Rowan is now. But central Jersey is just perfect because you get more green, uh, so there's property. There's still farms down here, which is really nice. Um, North Jersey is a lot busier, smaller property. And I kind of felt like I just wanted to be away from, it's very close to New York City where I used to live. Yeah. Just want to be away from the hustle yeah. and the bustle. Yeah, I think that's, I think in it, for me, I'm, I'm the same way. Like in the beginning, it was like, I want to be in the city. I want to be in the, the mix of everything. And every day I want to hear the honking and this. And then you get, I think when you get older, then it's like, I just want something a little quieter. I don't necessarily need a farm. I need to be close to a farm. Like, you know, I need, yeah, I just like to look at it. Yeah, yeah, I can tap. You know, every so often. Yeah, 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 I can tap into it. But I, I, love, I love the energy of the city. So when I'm there, it's amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I could maintain that energy 24-7. I literally never sleep. I'd be so jacked up on the energy yeah, yeah. that it's good for me to go to a little quiet time. I like that. Be able to disconnect a little bit. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. So cool. So what was, so after you, you graduated from college, 
what was your, like your career path? Like, how did you get to I me? Mean, Cause there's like, honestly, there's like, I, I told you this earlier, there's like 50 things that we can talk about accolades wide that you've done. So I'm always interested in hearing that journey of like, okay, Hey, I, after I graduated from college, this is what I did. I'm really interested because you've written books, you're a speaker, you've worked at, you did a, you were a teacher or a, a professor at the university. So kind of give me like a little rundown of how that all, how that all played out. Yeah. So I'm a writer. I mean, writing is a part of everything that I do. I'm a storyteller. I like to say I get executives and entrepreneurs and business professionals unstuck, right? So they can be seen and heard and build relationships. But basically, my writing, you could go back to fourth grade where I have a fourth grade teacher who would just swear (laughs) I was going to be an author. But it really started when I was in college. I wrote an essay contest. I I entered an essay contest for WOR Radio. Mm. And of course, I, I won that contest. And my guidance counselor, who was a mentor at the time, said, you know, you have a knack for writing. Why don't you select a career where you can always write? Now, you have two choices. You can be a journalist or you can go into public relations. And I said, oh, okay, what, what is this public relations thing? And when he explained it to me, I thought, you know what? That's the way that I want to go. And right out of college, even before I was graduated, I did two internships at a, an agency in New York City. And from there, I was hired by that agency. And I just fell in love with the writing part of my job, working with the media, getting communication out on behalf of a client. And that kind of led into always working for somebody else's agency for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then when I was running somebody else's agency, I said to myself, I could do this Wait a for second. myself. I'm already doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in somebody else's name. That's awesome. Exactly. And and simultaneously I was getting my MBA. And you know, getting your MBA teaches you all the skills about business. Yeah. So, you know, my concentration was in marketing, but I was learning the business skills as well. And I thought, you know what? What the heck? I'm I'm gonna launch my own little company. And I did. And my employer at the time became my client and I got a handful of other clients. And then one of my clients, which was a larger agency in New Jersey, acquired my little agency. And I stayed with that agency as a partner for about 14 years. And then after, you know, you build something up, you're kind of like, oh, okay, now where do we go? And I turned to Paige and said, ooh, after writing books and speaking and doing all sorts of interesting projects, I think I want to be a consultant now. And that's when I started Peer Performance Communications. Ah, gotcha. So that's the transition. So, and now today you do your heavy on consulting. Yes. So I do a lot of consulting and training and speaking. And it's just, it's the difference between, I love the agency world. There's no doubt about it. But we always were working more product PR and marketing. Mm -hmm. And now I get to work one-on-one with executives, with entrepreneurs, with business owners who want to turn a page to their story, who have to figure out how do I reinvent myself because media is always changing and how do I build my credibility and thought leadership? And that's where PR comes in. So I took the best of my world and just brought it over into the consulting. And that allows me to write my books and to teach and to be a podcaster, you know, women worldwide. Yeah. So many things. It's great. I can design my day as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and that is that is the fun part, right? I think when you get to a point where you foundationally you've done a lot of the, this really cool stuff and it sounds like your journey's been pretty kind of like you knew where you were going to go, like all you did is talk to a guidance counselor and, and they probably said 
to take on <laughs> PR, not to take over PR. And you heard take over <laughs> PR and then you went ahead and, and did what you did. So tell me a little bit. So you also have a book, The Answers for the uh, Modern Communicators. So I'm assuming this probably ties in directly with your consulting business, right? Of like, hey, how we get the word out from a PR perspective, personal branding, stuff like that. Like, tell me a little bit about your book. Absolutely. Thanks. I appreciate you asking. So this book has been, I've been creating it for years. It, it started in 2003 because that's when I started doing research around social media. Believe it or not, there weren't a lot of PR people at the time yeah. who were focused on social media. And I was, and everybody was asking questions and it was all around the pain points. Yeah. So I started curating and I got a little sidetracked with some other books that I wrote. And finally, I think it was in 2015 where the questions became fast and furious through Twitter, on my blog, through Skype, LinkedIn, email. And I thought, you know what? Some of them are repetitive. Everybody wants to know questions in certain areas. So I carved up, you know, I saw questions around relationships. I saw questions around reputation. I saw questions around mentoring. I saw questions around social media and socializing your brand. I took all those questions. There's over 156 of them. I carved them into chapters and I answered them all. And I included in every chapter other experts, other influencers who could share their answers or their guiding principles. And that became my book. I think that's awesome. I was going to ask you, because obviously you've written a lot of books. I, and I think I've talked about this and, and potentially talked about it and whined about it a little bit. I have a book that I'm you know, working on and I've only been working on it for 40 years now, right? I feel like. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's going to come out in 2096. So I'm it's right <laughs> around the corner. So I'm super excited about that. But somebody like you're pumping out a book like every three hours. How do you like for me? Like, I'm just a little envious, but you're, yeah, it's also because your main thing is a writer. But like, I love the idea of like, you grabbed all the questions, all the, the pressing questions that people asked you, and then you answered them and then brought in other experts. For me, I think that's something that I could, that I could put together, which I think is yeah. an awesome idea. Tell me about some of your other books. I mean, I'm sure each one of them have been a little different. Like, how do you, I mean, mainly this is like me not even caring about anybody that's listening. This is like literally, this is, I actually did this so that I could, instead of hiring you as a consultant, I could ask you these questions. That's the reason I had you on the podcast. I was like, what is the cheapest way that I can get to one of the best PR people in the world? I know I'll have her on the podcast. That's, well, I'm happy to share. There we go. This is it. This is the, and you know, so anybody else, if you will probably want to hire as a consultant, but if you don't put her on the podcast and you can ask her all the questions. So this is, that's my, 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 my snippet of, uh, of information for the day. So how, I mean, how do you do that? Like, how do you put together six different books? I mean, like, cause obviously it looks like some of them you kind of start and then you have some other ones that kind of take precedence. You're like, this is kind of more exciting. Like you have six, right? At least six yeah, yes, that are six. under your belt. So give me some little, give me a little intel. Give me a little, some insight on that. Straight up. All you have to do is listen to what everybody's complaining about, all the pain points and your, your peers or whoever you're writing for are extremely vocal. So what I did early on was I started listening on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And when you listen, people openly share. So I told you about answers for modern communicators, which I got a lot of questions on Twitter. Yes, that became a part of my book. But the book before that is called Social Media and Public Relations, Eight New Practices for the PR Professional. That book was born from all of my peers and all the communicators around me who didn't understand when social media came on like a lion, or at least we felt that way, and we were behind the eight ball. They 
didn't understand their role. Responsibilities were changing. It, it all seemed so crazy in the areas of crisis, in the areas of being um, you know, a, a content person or being a relationship, building relationships. How do you do it? So what I did was I just went in and crystallized practices. I developed eight practices to say to all my peers, this is what you've been asking for. There's been so much confusion around the area of reputation. Here's the practice. Here's everything that you need to do in the practice, all the steps. Oh, and by the way, here's five influencers who want to talk about it because they're doing the right thing. And that's how the chapters were formed. It's always kind of the same, I don't know, way that I go about it. It's, I, I rarely ever say, I want to write a book on... It's because something is going on that just comes at you and you say, wow, I really want to solve this problem. And, and that's what I'm doing. It's like when you watch, do you watch Shark Tank at all? Yeah. Okay. I do too. And they always say that entrepreneurs who are, are solving a problem come up with the best companies, the best products. And it's the same thing with your book. You're, you're solving a, a a problem and you're giving people the steps on, on how to move forward. Well, and I think that's a, such a valuable point of like, because it's so funny when you say it, it sounds so easy. Like I'm like, yeah, you just, I got to do is listen a little more. Right. Which I, I feel like, like, like my wife is right next to me saying, you just need to listen a little more. And I'm like, what did you just say? Like, I, I feel like when you <laughs> say it, it's like, you know, it's, that makes sense. Right. It's like, obviously there's a need, right? So what happens with entrepreneurs is there's a, there's an issue. They see an issue, right? They say, oh, there's not a solution for this. And I, I seem to have this problem, right? And so maybe now I can start a business that will take care of that problem. And for you, it's, you had enough people that are asking these types of questions. And you said, you know what? Like, instead of me sending, you know, responses to 50 people, why don't I write a book about exactly. it? Because there's a need there. And so I'll go ahead and answer those questions. And I think this is another thing that we do in regards to content is once again, what are the pain points? right? What are the pain mm-hmm. points of your potential client? So what we look at is kind of the same thing of like, if you can answer in blog posts, the answers to these questions, then for you, you're answering these questions, but you put it into a book. And so now people are buying it and you're a thought leader in the space because of that. I love that. I, I, I like I said, the, the book thing is, is, you know, something I, like I said, I will come out with it one day, but I love the fact of talking with people on, on how they come up with it and how they, how they put their books together. Cause everybody's process is a little different. I think yes. The underlying message. And this is like literally for, I'm saying this out loud just for myself is just to do it right. It's just to get it. Yeah, it is. It's to do it. And I, I've always worked with big publishers and I think one thing that I've learned from the large publishers, so Rutledge is my publisher now, but I've worked with Prentice Hall, Financial Times Press, Pearson, And I always create, once I know what this book is going to be, before I even start, I always do this annotated table of contents, which just kind of fleshes out, what's this baby going to look Mm. like? And how am I going to stay on track? Because otherwise, maybe my books wouldn't come out until 2096 either. (laughs) Then we'd both be competing for that same year, which would suck because I I haven't come up. (laughs) And you're pretty famous last time I checked. So that would really suck for me. So if you could do it a year before, that would be awesome. So yeah, structure helps too. I think that's the thing is I think structure is probably the key and a starting point, right? Is like, like, hey, let me see what this is going to look like. Of course, I will continue to evolve and change. Yes. But it's interesting to me. It's interesting. I'm, I am, I think I just need to probably talk to like three more people on the podcast. And I actually have Andy Crescidino who, who actually told me, he's like, next time we talk, you better have like 
you better have pieces of this already put together. And he kind of threatened me in a nice way, which is unfortunate because now I can never talk to Andy again because then he's going to call me on my oh, stuff, no. right? So it's like, I just, I can't, I don't want to be held accountable or anything like that. So I got to <laughs> make sure to avoid him. But yeah, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm going to think about that. This is, I think that's the way that you came up with it, which is naturally makes sense of just listening to what people oh, are saying. And one more tip yeah. for you yeah. as you're kind of streamlining to your book. So it's not 2096. Yeah. You don't have to always just sit at your computer. I mean, and I'm sure you know, I wrote my book on my smartphone yeah. on Evernote. So when I wanted to answer a question, because Evernote is synced to all my devices, yeah. I just go in and I would talk into my phone and answer <laughs> the question. And then I could later go to my laptop, I'd get it in Evernote, and then I'd dump it into my chapter. Oh, first I'd put it in Grammarly, because you always want to make sure, right? Mm -hmm. Not that you're, you know, if you work with a big publisher, they're pretty strict, yeah. and they always check things. But for all of the self-published authors out there, Grammarly is great. Yeah. But that way, it's not so much pressure on you, Shane. You don't have to be like, oh, I have to sit at my computer and produce a chapter. No. Record it. I am actually, so it's funny that you talk about Evernote. I love Evernote just because once again, you can do the audio, you can write stuff in there, you can write notes. And once again, it's connected to everything. So we're, mm -hmm. I'm pretty in tune with the Evernote thing. I, it really, for me, it's, it's not like I don't have the content. It's not like, it's literally just one of those things I just need to start getting it going. I have like, like ADHD, right? So I'm like, like, I would say a good amount, probably half my listeners do like half my listeners are probably off the podcast right now. Cause they're like, you know, looking for a tiny penny or something <laughs> like that. But all the people that have stayed on the older folks that, you know, aren't heavily medicated, um, you know, they're, they're still here. You know, I think for me, it's, it's really just doing it. Like I have some of the outlines together and all that kind of stuff. And I have the, the collateral, the curriculum, because I was, you know, a lot of the stuff that I want to talk about is influencer marketing and, you know, how to be influential. Right. I mean, I, I taught, I teach a class at UCLA on personal branding and Excellent. how to be an influencer. So it's not like I don't have the material. It's just one of those things of sitting down between, you know, my workshops and, you know, all the other fun stuff. For me, it's focusing on this one thing for however many hours I need to do it because I'm like, oh, look, a shiny penny. Oh, look, I just got an email. Oh, look, you know, so I'm, I have to like literally shut everything down, which is yeah. it's difficult for me. So we'll, that's hard. It is. It's hard to shut everything. Especially down. when you're so connected. But this, I will tell you, over the years, I have been able to become more disconnected or at least being able to disconnect from work and stuff. Like we talked about a little bit earlier about that. And I, so I think that for me, um, I'm getting to the point where I just really just sitting down on a Sunday and saying, hey, let me spend two hours on this you know, each week and I can do it. I'll, this is the thing. I'll do it here soon. So that way I can talk to Andy again and, and be able to look you in the eyes and tell you that, that we've pushed that date back to 94 or something like that. And now we're, we're, we're hot in the trail to getting this thing going. So, okay. So obviously you're the thing you, obviously your background is a writer, right? I mean, that's what you're, the premise of everything that you do has this common core of, of being a writer. So yep. how is content a major piece of that? Like, how do you integrate? Because not everybody's writers, right? And, and that don't have the expertise right. that you have. So how is it with content being kind of the core of that? How do you do that with your consulting business with your clients? So I, I think it's understanding your, your thought leadership. So my clients start to learn their pillars of thought leadership, right? Pillars of content. And once you understand your areas of expertise, it's really easy to figure out what media you're going to explore, right? To put your content out. And it's all based on your audience. It's always what they yeah. want. And basically what I'm finding is that we're hungry for content. 
I mean, my goodness, there's the long tail of publishing now. So there was just a study that came out by Unclusive. I don't know if you saw it. It was the media report. But basically, it says that there are so many more third tier publishers that it's good in a way that everybody can produce content. It's bad in a way because there's so much out there that, you know, attention spans and everything is so saturated. But I think it's really important just to understand, well, first you have to have a compelling story Mm -hmm. that you want to share, but it really becomes how does somebody want to experience what you have to offer? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to meet their passion? I call it passion potential because basically whatever it is you have to share has to meet their need and want for you to share it. So it's all different. It really depends. Some of my clients are uh, podcasters. Some are more the digital correspondent type. Some, some are writers like me. And it's always tapping into your, you know, what you do best as well so that you're not so bogged down. It doesn't seem like such a chore as well. And I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, the, for me, it's like, and that's what we kind of look at is like, what do you enjoy doing, right? And what are you good at, yeah. right? And it's like really building something around that because you can always find, if you're not the best writer, I mean, if you can speak and put something into a tape and tell people what the premise of it is, or, you know, we do video, a lot of stuff like we use Loom to be able to do a video and explain things. You don't have to be the best writer in the world, right? You don't have to, with, with video, it's a little difficult to clone yourself and have somebody else do it. So you, you probably have to do that work. But, and if you hate being in front of a video, then then maybe that's not for you. But I think it's important what people, one of the things is, is figuring out obviously what you're good at, but then also knowing that you don't have to be everywhere. You don't have to be on every platform. You don't have to do every medium. Figure out what you enjoy doing and what what kind of content you think your audience is going to like. And as long as that resonates with what you're creating, then finding that connection, right? And I think that's always the hard part because, you know, and I, we get this and I think everybody does is like, there's always a new platform. There's always a new this. There's always a new that, oh right? Gosh. And there's always yep. something to distract you from it. But I think it's it's really focusing. And, and for me to say focus is kind of ironic, but to focus on exactly like, once again, what your message is, how you want to put that out and once again, what you enjoy doing. Because I think people want to, oh, I got to do video, but I got to hate video. And I think there's a, there's a difference between hating video and then also getting it to a point where you just haven't done it a lot, so you're not good at it, right? Not where you're like have anxiety and you're like have to take medicine or something to be able to get on video, right? That's a whole different level. Yeah, that's the point. You don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't that's make sense because right. you're, you know, because I mean, drugs are expensive from what I understand, but <laughs> from what I've heard. So I think that's the, that's the key is like, what, once again, what do you like to do and what are you good at doing? And then you can build out the other pillars because there's other people that enjoy whatever that is that you don't enjoy, like accounting or answering yeah. emails or something like that. So I, we talk about that of like, there's figuring out what you're good at, what you want to do, how you spend your day. And once again, do you enjoy what you do? But also you, you hit on something really important when you were saying, you know, sometimes if you haven't done video in a long time, you're a little reticent to do it and you're nervous, but you're really, you're still excited. Stepping out of your comfort zone versus I'm going to have a, a full-blown panic attack because I really don't, this is not for me. So I think people have to embrace stepping out of their comfort zone when it's, when it's right to do for them. And I think that's one thing that I've always, always tried to do for my brand, where I started as, if you take my, my writing and my storytelling, book author to blogger, to LinkedIn learning video instructor. I was a lynda.com instructor and then LinkedIn acquired Linda. Um, 
um, an audio podcaster, and we're actually launching the first video version. <laughs> so I that's saw that. coming out. Yeah. But each time, I kind of felt like, oh, I'm excited, but oh, this feels a little funny. But that's okay. You, you still have to get used to stepping out of your comfort zone. That's important too today. And absolutely. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, my, yours or my first speaking event, my first podcast, my first video thing, you don't jump into it and sound great. Like I'll give you an example. And I, I brought this up in past podcasts. I have my first blog post that I wrote on my website and I show it to the, my students at UCLA and they always look at it and go, God, that's terrible. And I go, that's my point of showing it to you is that it's terrible, yes. right? It's like, but I started, right? So the thing but is you with it. you is with you and it's important to go and do that and step out of your comfort zone. And yeah, mm -hmm. my writing skills aren't absolutely phenomenal. I'm not a writer by trait, but this is where I started, right? And now I have people on my team that help me with writing, obviously with, you know, writing content. So this is the thing is like, it, you just have to get it started. And the video thing and the speaking thing being a, a great example of that, people are, I mean, people would like, it's like death and speaking, right? That's like the thing. Yeah. A lot of the time speaking is more scary than death because speaking, you have to think about what you did after death. It just happens. And it's like, okay, it's happening. So it's the, the, the crazy part about it for me is once again, I think you touched on it is like, do are we so uncomfortable? We just can't do it. Cause I get anxiety before I speak and I haven't told yeah. a lot of people that, but then when I get up on stage, other than talking, you work through it, yeah, you work through it. Right. It's like, I kind yeah. of forget about all that. And now it's, this was in the beginning. Now it's just, it's kind of second nature to get up and speak. But in the beginning it was, it was absolutely terrifying. Like, I'm like, what am I oh, doing? Yeah. But I, I knew myself that I was like, I have to conquer this. Like I have to go through this. It sucks, right. And I, I, I just not, I don't love it by any means. But they'll get to a point where I'll just jump up on stage, I grab a microphone, and then it'll just, it's all second nature. And that's where I'm, I'm at now. But it, it takes a while to get there. And you have to, once you, it does. you have to say, am I willing to really go through the hard times? Because it's not easy. It just won't be, right? Yeah, I have a perfect example. So I had done Facebook Lives for my clients where I would be instructing them how to do a Facebook Live. But I will never forget, I was doing some content marketing for NASDAQ. NASDAQ had acquired MarketWired. Um, it was when they made the acquisition of MarketWire's Newswire and digital media services. So NASDAQ had this business unit that was also Newswire and digital media services. I used to do videos for them. I was very comfortable being on video, going to trade shows, interviewing influencers there and speakers. And one day, so we were in Toronto at the World PR Forum, and I will never forget this. The call comes in from headquarters, and it goes into the marketing director who was at the show with me. And they said, would Deirdre do Facebook Live video with the influencers? And then at the time, the marketing director was like, yeah, I'm sure she would do that. That's a great idea. And then they asked me, let's just test it on our Facebook feed. We want you to go and talk for 10 minutes raw. Just go on the NASDAQ Facebook page, do a live video, and talk. And I was nervous because it was NASDAQ. Yeah. I mean, the NASDAQ, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought to myself, I'm going to be kicking myself if I say no. Yeah. I'm nervous, but I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. And I did. And just to the point of you showing your students that first video, I like to show this first video of me doing my Facebook Live for NASDAQ with like their step and repeat banner behind me. It was so bad. <laughs> it was like my leg was moving, the angle was wrong. I could just pick it apart. But guess what? I did, did it. it. Did more of it. That 
if, if I had said no, I never would have ended up at market site in Times Square doing a live show in the same studio as Squawk Box that was broadcast out where I got to be their digital correspondent and host of a show that just strictly interviewed influencers. I mean, you just never know where it's going to take you. And I think that's what's, for me, that's what's exciting, like the speaking side of things and workshops for me. In the beginning, it was uncomfortable. But for me now, I knew that once I got through that, that there was going to be just great stuff that was going to happen, right? But it's like anything else. It's that part sucks, right? Going from here to there because you're like this and that. But so many good things can happen once you break outside of that. Assuming once again that you're not so, you know, have to heavily medicate yourself to do something. But even then, I I would have, (laughs) I would have, this is, this was years ago. I was going on and I was just a little nervous, a little speaking event, a little keynote that I was doing in, in Santa Barbara. And, um, and the funny part was the guy that was there and he goes, he goes, how are you doing? I said, oh, you know, I'm doing good. And that's always my answer. Right. But I'm like, you know, sweating and not really, but it's like, you know, deep down inside my palms are all sweaty. And he's like, do you want a shot of tequila? And I was like, he goes, do you want a shot of tequila? And I'm like, I go, I'm, I'm Irish. It doesn't mean I like drink before my keynotes, but he goes, I actually, goes, the only reason I'm asking, I don't think he had a bottle of tequila. His yeah. point was, is like, he had other people, speakers that would for a long time, they would drink tequila. I'm not recommending drinking tequila before you go right. but oh, wow. take care of the anxiety for them. And I always thought that was interesting. Now, I never have decided to drink before I go on stage because I, I don't think I need to drink when I, before I go on stage. Now, after I go on stage, I'm, I'm <laughs> Maybe after. Too with the group, right? So, but I just thought that was interesting, like, to get rid of the, like, anxiety of it. He's like, yeah, I recommend tequila. And I was like, well, there we go. I mean, who knew? So, let me know if you use tequila before you do your keynote and how that turns out or if you even remember it. And if you do, then that's awesome. Let us know how that goes. So, how funny. When we talk about content, so tell me, what are, you, what are you really passionate about? Like, if somebody said... Like if they put, you know, your name plus a hashtag, like what would that hashtag be in regards to what are you passionate about content wise? Like what would be like right now you're like, Hey Shane, this to me is like really where I'm, I know obviously you have your podcast, right? Women worldwide. So I, I would say that's probably what you're passionate about, but like, tell us, what are you passionate about right now when it comes to content marketing? So, well, I mean, right now I am working on a project that is all about millennials on social media. I heard about this. So I'm building, um, it actually, it comes out of something sad, but it's meant to be empowering and to move forward to help. So I think you know this, Shane, we lost our daughter, my stepdaughter, Noelle, in September. Mm -hmm. And it was tragic. And she was a millennial, absolutely beautiful, accomplished. And, you know, you you look at people like Noelle on social media. Mm And it's, it's a highlight reel. And it's really interesting because I am now about, I'm finding out that millennials especially are feeling that their performance is tied to their value, that depression, anxiety, the rates are spiking, suicide, which is really scary, is up 30% since the year 2000. It's the second leading cause of death of Americans between the ages of 10 and 34. So after what happened with Noel, I really started to, I'm talking to millennials, asking specific questions about how they're feeling about social media and how leaders are coming across to them in their content, in their communication. And what I'm finding is that the model I'm developing is kind of the gap between what the millennials really want and need and prefer in their content and communication and what's actually coming across from business leaders and professionals. And FEEL stands for face your fears, 
engage with empathy, use ethics and good judgment and unleash the love. So that's where I am in the content space with my own content, with people I work with, to always make sure you feel first before you communicate. That's what I'm super passionate about. I love that. That is so awesome. And that's, and I appreciate the bringing up the thing with Noel. I knew that that was, and we had talked a little bit on Twitter and through direct message about that. I knew that was a, a, a hard thing for you guys. And it's, it's interesting how you're turning it into something that I think could have a big impact. And so I think that's awesome. I hope so. It will. It, it will. It absolutely will. And you obviously, and I've told you this before, but you let me know whatever you need from my side to help get the word out, not only through the podcast, but through anything. Cause like, I think it's, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of like passion projects, especially if it can make an impact. I think social media, and I think it's difficult time for millennials, right? I think there's, it really is. there's this need to perform and this need to, to be out there. And, you know, you're socially accepted by how many likes and comments. And, you know, if I'm not getting this and content, I mean, I, I work with influencers a lot. Like my class at UCLA is literally personal branding, how to be an influencer. Right. And so yeah. it is this kind of this, this need to feel accepted or, you know, a to monetize it and stuff like that. But I do think, you know, the unfortunate part is, is that if you're not, you know, if you want to be a, an influencer in theory, if you're not performing, then they're going to go find somebody else. Right. If you're not out there putting this forward and some real right. honest about what they put out and some people, it's this facade of, you know, this is, Oh, my life's great. I have a, you know, pink dog and I eat caviar and I'm on a jet every day. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe not every day, but so it's, it's like, how do you like getting through that? I think it's the communication and there's just so many other avenues to communicate. And it's, once again, it's, it's difficult, you know I mean? High school yeah. high and even college it's, and even after that, it's difficult times and it just, it is hard. There's a lot of, I don't know. There's just a lot of moving pieces to it. I think it's awesome that you're looking into that as, you know, kind of like trying to figure out interviewing people and saying, Hey, what are the potential issues here? And, and especially when we're dealing with, you know, higher suicide rates and stuff like that. I mean, you know, social media has some upsides and some good things. And, you know, I think what's important to address both sides of it, right. Especially if it's affecting our youth and the people that, Absolutely. that's important. You know, what's coming up a lot in my research is that millennials are saying that the way people are communicating, everything is don't trust anything. You just, you can't trust anything. It's disingenuous. It's all planned communication, which in most cases, when they talk about their business leaders or brands that they like, the way they're being communicated to, it's, it it is planned. And that um, you always have to verify and then trust. You know, I, I grew up a long time ago. It was you could trust first. Yeah. And then if you had to verify. But now you would you just don't there is no trust. And I think what millennials, what I see is much more on the EQ side of things, this emotional intelligence, which is really important anyway, because Shane, in an age of automation and artificial intelligence, the machine can't take away things like caring and kindness, and intuition, and the ability to build a genuine relationship, that's all EQ. And millennials are very much EQ. And on the other side, sometimes the communication, because I've analyzed it on social media, I've used a social media intelligence software platform to look at how leaders, emotion, and communication, what's being valued. And it's really interesting because the I. Q words like strength and professional and powerful and experience, they're all big words when you do text analytics, but things like feel and real and trust, 
and compassion are all little words <laughs> that are hardly ever talked about. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I can't wait to hear more about like what you got going on there. Cause that's, I just think, I think you're, you're touching on something that I don't think a lot of people realize is going on. Right. Because I, it's not, I don't think it's talked about a lot. Right. There's, like I said, the other side of social media and how it can affect once again, can be great. But there's the other side, it doesn't affect everybody great. Right. And so there's no. that, that it can really, and cause issues. And so I think that's interesting. Once again, as I've told you before, you let me know when you come out with that. I would love to support you in any way possible. Put it in my Thank you. channels and stuff. Yeah, I just think it's important. I think it's important to look at both sides of that. And I'm excited to see your research. I know how you do research. So I'm excited to see how that thing comes out. There'll be another book. I, did it. <laughs> I can only imagine. Hey, I'll, I'll buy it. I'm ready. I'm ready for number seven. Thank you. I just, I, my goal is to come out with my book before you come out with your 15th book. <laughs> I'm this I small goal. Oh, you will. I know. I'm gonna go put you that on my put board. it out there in the universe. Shane. You'll do it. Don't you worry, folks. I'm gonna get this thing. This thing's gonna be. She's only gonna do eight books in the time that I do one. That's not a problem. No, nothing here to judge. We'll be good. So cool. You know, we're gonna switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the content marketing side of things. Like, what do you think the biggest challenges for like marketers are? Like, where do you see marketers failing when it comes to content marketing? Like, is there anything when you see? Um, you know, content that comes out and you go, oh man, I really wish that more content marketers or more businesses would do this. Is there anything that really for you is a, a something that's been glaring that you see it quite often? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot around, uh, more I see it from the inside, the measurement, right? Knowing that what you're doing is actually effective. And if it is for lead gen, that you're moving the needle, yeah. <laughs> you're actually getting leads and they're converted somewhere on your website. You can track this. You can see it in the form of a download of something, or maybe it is a sale, whatever that is. I also think that maybe brands need to take advantage more of the, the great way that influencer marketing and content marketing come together. Mm -hmm. That when you involve influencers in your content, they have a reason to share yeah. and it's a win-win. And always knowing that it's not just about taking a bunch of influencers and putting them into one project, but more so understanding the influencers, their level of influence, what they like to do, how they participate. Are they getting paid? Will they not, you know, is it something that they're so passionate about that they do it for free because they see some kind of a value with the brand that probably is something that needs to be developed a little bit more. I would also say after reading an article, I, gosh, I don't remember if it was, I think it was Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur, where one of the journalists or one of the contributors did this whole kind of experiment around influencers and decided to pretend to be an influencer to see if a brand would work with them. And I don't know if you saw this article, but brands really have to screen their influencers a little bit better. I mean, this journalist went to the length of buying followers, putting up fake pictures, making it look like she was a candle expert, literally. I mean, she set up this whole series of posts around this Italian vacation that she took and all the candles that she had. No, she wasn't anything, but she got brands interested in her and they wanted to work with her. And some even sent her products. And that's when she said, hey, I'm not even, I'm a journalist. This was an experiment. A couple of those brands were pissed at her and rightly so. And one brand said, you know what? You're right. And we want to be a part of your article. So there's something about influencer marketing and the content that you're using. Got to screen it. Have to know if your influencers are actually effective and just content marketing in general 
how are you tracking your measurement? So it's funny. I, I feel like, and I have to tell my to tell the audience that I didn't set this up for you to say this for me to say this, but it was interesting. So my main thing, my one of main focuses right now is the workshops that I'm doing for brands to on how to work with influencers. Good. They went in San Francisco. Thank goodness. Because it it is there's a huge disconnect between brands and influencers. Um, not say all of them, but there just is a, a, overall from what I've seen, the research that we've done is there's just a huge disconnect. I talk to brands, I talk to influencers. The problem is, is that brands are treating influencers as like just this, hey, send them a product and let's see what happens, right? Not caring right. about the metrics, not saying, not, you know, saying, hey, in the brief, what are you going to include? What does this mean? Like asking those specific questions. And I think that's where that's where I switched gears. That's the whole UCLA thing. The curriculum that I taught there is where we've developed a workshop, right? Of saying, listen, like if you want to go do influencer marketing, there's a right way to do it and, and not say that every influencer campaign is going to be successful, but there's certain things you need to do. There's certain questions you need to ask or briefs you need to put in place. You need to understand that if you're reaching out to this influence and if you love their content, don't give them a brief that's going to strangle them so that it's going to be the content you want, right? You obviously like their content, like let, right. let them work with when the measures of, they know what their audience likes and it's got to obviously resonate with your brand, but let them be creative. Like don't, don't. Right, what they want to do. Exactly. They understand. And, and once again, make it more of like a relationship, make it more of like, oh, you guys are working together instead of, hey, we're the brand, we're paying you, this is what we want. I just see this, you know, or I see the brands that will come to me and say, this is Kim Kardashian's cousin and we want to work with her. And I go, okay, that's awesome. Like, well, why do you want to work with her? Well, it's Kim Kardashian's cousin. And I go, okay, (laughs) that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, what's the reason? Like, so is it because you've looked at her profile and you like the analytics? She's got a great engagement. She's, you know, never worked with these types of brands and you think you would be a good fit or like, no, she's Kim Kardashian's cousin. I feel like we've already gone over this. That doesn't matter to me, right? And it's a, a lot of the times, a lot of these brands will look at followership. They go, they've got a lot of followers. It must be good, right? And it's, it's just really interesting to see that because for us, once again, education being the key, you know, and this is a, this is a terrible analogy. I'm going to say this analogy to you mainly for comical reasons, but the way that I explain brands and influencers, it's like two 15 year old kids having a baby, right? And I, I'm not saying you 15, you can, but I'm not recommending you should have a baby at 15. Like you probably try to finish college and, you know, date a few people, you know, learn a little bit about life and then you guys can go start a family. So for me, it is two 15 year olds, not all of everybody's 15 year olds, but it, it, them getting together and doing some stuff when it's like, Hey, like, I'm not saying you have to hire me to be a consultant or, you know, anybody else. But what I am saying is educate yourself a little bit. Like you might be at the early stages and better understand how you're going to work with influencers and understand that not, not all influencers are the same. Every influencer oh, is they're different, all different, right? Everybody has yeah. business, the way that they do things, the way that they accept payment, whether it even has to be payment. You know, it's, it's, that's one thing I think we look at is like also the value trade of, of time. You have influencers that, you know, you want to offer a free $10 t-shirt to them and yet they have a full production team, a video person, a vid- you know, it's like you want them to go spend eight hours to put a video together for you for your free $10 t-shirt. Like there's no value exchange yeah. there. Right. And so it's, no. it's important once again, brands to say, listen, like, and also look at the influencers, right? I think that's another thing we, they use software and they pull this list and they send out a templated email and that's just not the way to do things. Like if, if I'm going to start a relationship with an influencer, the idea is to go and look at that influencer, go look at their content, go see. I mean, there has to be, it's called the eyeball test. Like when we started doing this, there was no influencer marketing software. There was no software for me to go do it. My thing strictly was an eyeball test. I would look at stuff and look at this and look at the content that shouldn't go away. Like you kind of talked about the EQ thing and you know, artificial yeah. intelligence isn't going to 
take away the jobs of, of what humans can do, right? Developing relationships and that kind of stuff. It's the same thing with influencer marketing. You have to go and look at the profiles and understand these are humans and, you know, kind of talk this thing out and see if they're a good fit. So I think I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's such an important point. I, I don't bring up the, the, the workshop stuff a lot, but I'm doing it now because I think it's important because that relationship is- It is important. Yeah, really a lot of good things can happen from it, but you have to learn those steps on how to be able to work together. And I think that's the disconnect right now, you know? Yeah, and it's not, it's not a one-off. That's the other thing. Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, this one didn't work out, move on to that. No, you, you have the chance to develop a relationship. Yeah. And that's meaningful. But what you put into the relationship is what comes out. And that's where you have to do your homework. You have to have understanding. You have to build a a trust and a rapport. And that's the best way to work together. It takes time. And I think that's what what people miss out on is that, you know, everybody, not everybody, but people in the world want, why, why would I do a seven second ab if I can do a two second ab? Right. And so it really comes down to like in anything you do, I don't care if it's PPC, I don't care if it's content creation, I don't care if it's marketing, you can skip steps all day long. But the problem is you're probably not going to have the outcome that you want. Right. And so influencer marketing is no different. If you just want to send out a templated email to a thousand yoga instructors because you have a a yoga product, you'll find somebody that's interested. But the problem is, is is it the right person? Right. And so it's, it's a lot more, you just have to put the time into it. And I think that's where people get confused. They assume, Hey, this is an influencer. They've got a big following. They're going to go post this picture. I'm going to give them a thousand bucks. I'm going to make $10,000 and then I can go stay on my Island and drink my Corona and hang out for the rest of my life. Probably not going to happen that way. So the idea of it is, is you're developing that relationship is the important part because if they do move the needle, now you guys work on new campaigns, you work on other ideas and how you can do this. It's going to be good for the influencer and great for the brand as well. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So we've got, we've only got a few more minutes here because this is what happens when we have fun. I mean, that's nothing else (laughs) we can do, right? I mean, there's no excuse here. This is just how it goes down sometimes. What do you think for like for content when you talk about like, are there like any softwares that you use? And I mean, I guess when I talk about content, I guess either it'd be creation. I know you talked about Grammarly a little bit earlier. Are there any other softwares that you use for either, let's say, you know, punctuation grammar or for the distribution of content? Are there anything like, what are the, what softwares do you use? Like you couldn't live without? Yeah. So I really like Canva because it's so easy to design anything in any format, (laughs) anything you want. And even in the free version, you have some you have a lot of good templates that you can use. You can always upgrade right, yeah. to the paid version. So Canva, I think, is a must. I'm still a fan of Hootsuite. We've been using Hootsuite to carve out conversations so we can monitor what's going on, but also to schedule yeah. content super easy, port your Twitter lists, whoever you want to follow and whatnot. So Hootsuite is a part of my world. I like Basecamp. And this is more um, for the project management. There's a lot that goes into producing the audio side and the video side now of Women Worldwide. And there's no way we could ever, ever do this through email. First of all, you have all these files. It wouldn't work. So Basecamp is just a great way to have my team and Pro Podcast Solutions, that's who does all of our audio and video and we're all together and we know what's going on. We're on the same page and all the content is in there uh, to be used. 
I like that. And I'm trying to think if there are any other ones. Definitely Grammarly. I think those are my top ones. Awesome. Yeah, you know what's funny? I, I don't think you people realize what it what goes into to do a podcast, especially when you're starting and in, in now you guys are doing video as well. The amount of work that goes into a podcast, which is funny because you think, oh, you just record it and then you put it up and, uh-huh. and you do this. There's so many moving pieces to it. And it's, it is one of those things. I don't know. There's just a lot of moving pieces. I don't think to do it the right way. And there's always new yep. things and new this and new that and take clips here and put it here. It's just a lot of work. But it, once again, I think it, it bears its fruit over time for sure. It's a lot of passion. A lot of, yeah, just, <laughs> one podcast. That is it. That is it. So tell me a little bit. So what would you like, what would you consider? Obviously we haven't even gotten into the 17,000 things that you've done of your lifetime, but what would you consider to be your biggest achievement? Like with the things that you've done, obviously you've done a lot of really great things. Like what would you say this is, and I guess it could be a current project you're working on or one that you've worked on in the past. Like what is that thing that you look at and you go, I'm extremely proud of this. So this is just a really cool thing. I mean, I've always been super, super proud of my books because I had a family member say to me when I got my first book contract, what? You can't be an author. You don't know the first thing about being an author. And I said, well, watch me because I'm going to make this happen just to kind of show like, yeah, I could do this. But it was after this last book, Answers for Modern Communicators, I did an interview on bestseller TV, which is through the CTV network, Mm -hmm. uh, C-Suite TV network. And this interview was picked up by United Airlines in-flight television. So you know when you're on United and they have like certain videos with people on different topics? There I was um, talking to Taryn Winter Brill on bestseller TV about my book and kind of like reputation and some interesting things in the book. So to have people from all over the world reach out to me and be like, oh my gosh, I saw you on United Airlines. I guess that was kind of cool. I mean, that's awesome exposure. Like you got to be kidding me. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that did lead to a few things. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine if you're sitting on a flight, you're like, wait, I know her. Oh, wait a second. Maybe I should reach out to her because you have nothing else to do other than stare at the screen and go, oh, okay, maybe I'll maybe we'll take a few notes and here we'll get a hold of her offline. That's awesome. The first time that I went on United after it aired, we put it on our screen and one of the flight attendants came by and said, oh my gosh, that woman, that, the likeness is unbelievable. She's my evil twin. Watch she looks like you. Yeah. yeah. She really does. That is too funny. So how long was that on United for? I think it was on for a few months. I mean, basically, I guess they get shuffled. I don't know if I haven't been on a United flight in a little while, but certainly when I go, I'm going to look for it. But I haven't had anybody say recently, hey, you're on United Airlines. So I guess it was, um, they put more on and you get shoved to the back. (laughs) From a consulting perspective, you can't really get in front of a better client. The people that are actually flying between this and that, like that's like- That's a beautiful thing. That's congratulations (laughs) on that. Thank you. So we've only got another minute or two. So first of all, I want to say, tell me about Daisy. So I, I have to get a little, oh. let me get a little bit of information about Daisy because I'm a, a fellow dog lover. So I just want to talk about Daisy for a minute. And then I want to talk okay. about what your typical day looks like. So Daisy is a beagle. Mm. She is part beagle, part bulldog, but honestly, she looks like a boxer. So we think a boxer slipped in <laughs> with her mom. Somehow. 
Um, she's adorable. She's the, she has to be on your lap all the time. Uh, medium-sized dog. If she was a, a big German Shepherd size, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> but she always has to be, she follows me everywhere. I have a home office, and she's probably sitting right outside the door yes. right now. She's the most lovable dog. Oh, God, I love dogs. I'm a huge, we have two rescues that it's, uh, anyway, so I love dogs. So I had to ask you about Daisy. That's awesome. And then Thank tell you. me about your day, because I know you're good at structuring stuff. Like, what does a typical day look like for you? So I don't, it's hard to say what typical is, but I do carve my day so that my creativity is in the morning. And creativity also includes when I do my video and podcasting, because I want to be high energy and feeling really creative. But my favorite part of the day literally is my morning, which is devoted usually an hour to, did you ever read The Miracle Morning? I did. By Hal Elrod? Absolutely. Savers program, silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. I do every morning, whether you could do it in six minutes, like each part of the saver program could be one minute, or you could do it an hour or however long it takes you. It takes me about an hour and I love it. That is awesome. Yeah, it's good. I, you know, I go back and forth with regimens or schedules and things that I do, but I just recently started doing that like early in the morning. I walk. So I, I, cause I can't run long story short. I hurt my leg back doing CrossFit stuff. So I was doing boxing oh. and anyway, so now I'm going to like these older sports of this things called Pilates and yoga and stuff like that, which is difficult <laughs> for somebody to me to, to slow down my brain. So that's, you know, that we're, we're trying to slow that. We'll, I'll let you know how this all works out. But good. I've been doing walking and stuff and running. I try to get a good little regimen in the morning just for kind of get, you know, get the mind going straight and, you know, get yeah. going. So sets your day. I mean, how you start your day is the way your day is going to play out. So this, this is true. if you started walking and clearing your mind or I do meditation, clear my mind, it's just, it's so much better for the rest of the day. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So I've got the last question of the day here. So if I was to give you a credit card, this is just, let's say I was going to give you a credit card for $50,000. I don't know. Hopefully that's going to be enough for a Jersey girl. I don't know. I know you like to do shopping. I've seen outfits. <laughs> for all that hairspray. Yeah, the hairspray. That's definitely not going to be enough. So if I was to give you a card for $50,000, where would you go? Like, what would you do with that? Would you go to like, go buy clothes or would you go on a trip? Like, what would you do? Tell me what would you do with that? So it's all about the experience. I would grab my loved ones and I would go to a resort that was um, has a spa and we would all take advantage of what that resort has to offer each and every day and just experience it together. So that would be my idea of just maxing out that card and having the best time. Man, that sounds awesome. Well, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a little little family time and, and a resort. I'm a... And pampering. Why not? On adult beverages. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything better than that right there. Well, you've been an absolute doll for the interview. I, I absolutely appreciate you, you taking the time today. Like I said, I'll let the team know once this goes live or let you know, let your team know. And once again, if you need anything from me when you're talking about these projects that you're working on, please reach out anytime. Thank you. If you know any millennials who want to talk to me, let me know. Absolutely. So that's another good point. So if somebody wants to reach out to you in regards to that or anything else, where can they find you? So you can find me always on Twitter. I'm at D Breckenridge. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can email me Deirdre at pureperformancecom with two M's.com. That's how you can find me or go to my website, DeirdreBreckenridge.com. That's awesome. Well, hopefully we get some millennials that'll reach out to you and get some interviews going. Cool. All right. Love it. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.